scripture for today. It's Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Just a note that in the digital bulletin, uh, that information was incorrect. That, that was totally my fault. I forgot to copy and paste in the new information uh, when I was giving it to the person who makes the bulletin. So sorry about that. Uh, but the information that you see on the YouTube, uh, the details there, is correct. Uh, and, and here, uh, it's correct, of course. It's uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. We're going to be reading in the ESV. And so uh, if you have a Bible handy or Bible app, uh, you can look that up. We're going to be skipping around uh, all throughout Scripture, so it's kind of good to have a Bible handy. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll also put the Scripture up here. Again, it's Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right, we are continuing in uh, our sermon series, Firm Foundation. We're trying to figure out how to build a firm foundation on Christ. And as we do that, I think we're reminded um, oftentimes when we read Scripture that often, uh, uh, especially, well, in the stories that we've been reading, we've been hearing about the lives of people that we consider, quote-unquote, righteous people. And I like to say that the word righteous, I know it carries a lot of connotation sometimes, um, but I think the word righteous, uh, you can kind of uh, uh, like distill it to the word right. The righteousness is rightness. You know, it's about being right with God, being the way that we are supposed to be. Right? <laughs> and uh, that often we look at this, and it sounds good on, on the surface, right? And you hear these stories about people who faithfully obey God. You know, God tells them to go somewhere, they go. And, and God, you know, considers them righteous, and we're like, yeah, good for you. You're righteous, you know? But what about for us? Uh what part does righteousness play for us as Christ followers today? And uh, oftentimes we are reminded that, um, well, we're not perfect. You know, what does it mean to be righteous? Does it mean to be perfect? Because if that's what it means, then we all fall short. It's an impossible standard. Why even try? 
And I wonder for many of us that we've lost the sense of what it means to be right in God's eyes. And sometimes we use kind of that excuse that, yes, it is true. It is absolutely true. Nobody is perfect. No one in the Bible, in fact. <laughs> All these people that we look at uh, as, as pillars of faith, they are not perfect either. I am not perfect. Oh, my goodness. I am not perfect. Sorry to disappoint you, <laughs> LGM, but the pastor of LGM is not perfect. Just ask my family. Or better yet, don't. Just kidding. <laughs> but they know, right? I am not a perfect person. And I wonder, though, sometimes if we can actually use that as an excuse. You know, maybe we'll say, like, okay, nobody's perfect. You know, am I perfect? No. But am I striving to be a better person every day? Also, no. <laughs> that, I wonder if that, 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 that idea, well, you know what? No one's perfect. That it, sometimes it becomes kind of an excuse for us to just do whatever we want. You know, even as a Christ follower. Now, maybe we would never put it this way, but I wonder for a lot of modern Christians or people who consider some, themselves to be Christians, you know, we have this idea that, that Jesus, you know, died for our sins we are forgiven. God loves us unconditionally. And of course, we're also not perfect. And so I wonder if, if, you know, when we look at certain things that, you know, talk about the will of God or, you know, maybe certain things that, that we should be doing as Christ followers, and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, that's good. You know, it's, it's nice. It would be nice if I could do that, but you know what? No one's perfect. So then we just do whatever we want. And when we do something that's sin or not of God, we're just like, Jesus will forgive me. Is that, do you think, what we would consider a righteous person? Is there a, a better way? Now, the alternative to that is, okay, just follow God and follow everything that it says in Scripture, follow everything that Jesus tells you to do, and do it perfectly, and then you will be righteous. We already said that's impossible. So how do we hold these two things together, right? I mean, you know, when you look at Scripture, when you're being really honest, we can't say that righteousness is not important, that we can just ignore what God tells us, right? Nor can we be perfect. And so that's what I want to talk about today. How, then, can we be righteous when we hold these two things together? We have a standard, right? We should obey. We, we should be righteous. But we ain't perfect. We mess up. We mess up a lot, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's take a look at one of these people that is considered righteous, but he is by no means a perfect person. I just want to say that from the outset. But let's take a look at Abraham. Uh, this is when he was called Abram, and later he starts to be called Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God gives Abram this great promise. But remember, it's a promise that you will be blessed in the future. Your nation, you will become a great nation. You will have all these descendants. All the nations of the earth, earth will be blessed through you. Right? We know that culminates in Christ, that, that all the nations of the earth are blessed through Christ. And that's a great promise. 
But remember what God is asking of Abram as well. He says, go. Go to, go from your country, right? With your family. So uproot your family, right? From your nice comfy house and, and wherever you are, or tent or whatever the case may have been back then, right? But, but, you know, the place that you're used to. The place where you're comfy. And go to where I'm telling you to go, right? It's a great promise, but let's be honest. Would you take God up on that? If God asked you to do that, hey, I got great things in store for you. You got to trust me. But this is what I'm going to need you to do. Give up your apartment. Sell your house. Just pick up and go. Well, where, God? I'll show you. Just, just start walking in that direction. Okay, well, when am I going to get there? When am I going to get this great nation? It'll come. You just got to trust me. And by the way, this great nation, remember, uh, we're told that Abram was 75 years old when he was called by God. It's never too late to follow the Lord. Amen? And in many ways, I mean, if you think about it, to be a great nation with your descendants requires children. You know how old Abraham was when he had his first child with his wife, Sarah? He was 100 years old. 25 years. 25 years. Okay, so let's go back. Maybe you're like, oh, Pastor Steve, you know, if God gave me a great promise, I would follow him. I would obey him. But what if, you know, like, like year one, you're, you're following, you're like, okay, God, we're going to do this. I'm going to be a great nation. No kid. And then year two, and then year three, and then year four, and then year 10. It's been 10 years. No child. Now you're 85 years old. I mean, first of all, when you get called at 75 and God tells you you're going to have a kid, You'd probably be like, what? But Abram went, to his credit. He went. He trusted. But now it's 85, and then 90, and then 95. At what point would you say, God, this ain't never going to happen? It's pretty extraordinary, right? And, and we look at Abram, and rightly so, we look at him and, and we, we consider him this great person of faith, right? He put his trust in the Lord and he went, right? But also, uh, we didn't read it in this story, but the very next story after what we read today, uh, Abram goes down to Egypt and, uh, because there's a famine. And so they, they go to Egypt and the, like, like basically Abram's like, oh, you know, my wife Sarah is a very beautiful woman. When people see Sarah, they're, they're going to, you know, look at her and, and see how beautiful she is, and possibly they will harm me to get Sarah. And so he tells Sarah, hey, tell everyone that you're my sister. And that way, you know, they'll leave me alone. <laughs> and so what, what happens is Pharaoh looks at Sarah and sees that she's very beautiful, it's like, hey, who's this? And Abram is like, that's my sister. And so Pharaoh marries her. 
And when he does that, God starts to, uh, starts to uh, torment Pharaoh's family, right? And, and all these bad things start happening to them. And they figure it out. They're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing, right? Abram, what did you do to us? Why did you lie to us? Like, take your wife and get out of here before more bad things happen, you know? And, and so it's like, Abram, what the heck, right? Why would you do that? Like, like, I mean, it, it's a really messed up story. The more you think about it, it just gets more messed up. You just take it on the surface, and you're like, okay. Well, you know, Abram lied, but he lets his wife marry another man for his own protection. I mean, he could spin it and be like, oh, it's, it's for Sarah's protection too, but come on, let's be honest. Right? God's going to make him a great nation. What happened? What happened? And by the way, this doesn't just happen once. <laughs> he does it again. It's just like a second time Abram does it. And, and, and you're like, okay, what the heck? This is the father of faith? It's not a perfect dude, right? What, what do we do with that? Now, I, I, I want you to remember something that uh, uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the idea of sin and when we are in sin, it is this idea that we are off from where God meant us to be. We were created in the image of God. Sin is not God's plan for us, right? And in that, it's almost as if we become a different person. And, and I mean, let's be fair in, in this scenario. Abram was afraid. I'm not saying it excuses anything. But I think in his fear, it's almost as if Abram was not in his right mind, right? And I think for a lot of us, uh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we know what that's like when you're really, really afraid or really, really angry or really, really lonely or really, really in despair. It's almost like you're not in your right mind. You can't make decisions the same way you normally do. And Abram in that way is just like you and me. Now, there were consequences for what happened, right? A lot of stuff went down that didn't have to go down if Abram had, had chosen to be honest, right? And so it, it doesn't mean that, that you know, God just overlooks that. It's like, ah, no big deal. It was a big deal, right? But at the same time, it doesn't disqualify Abram from being a servant of God. It doesn't make him, you know, somebody who... who isn't considered righteous, but it's not that action which makes him righteous, right? What is it then? What is it then, knowing that Abram is not a perfect person? So I, I want to take a look at uh, uh, Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, uh, just kind of for a clue here. And so it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. That's what we just talked about, right? And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Oftentimes, I think we think of the Old Testament and the New Testament as being completely separate. Hebrews is a New Testament text, right? 
And, and they're citing Abraham and his faithfulness and, and his obedience of God. And, and they're trying to uh, uh, show us a parallel between the kind of faith that we can have, right? So don't think, well, okay, we're under Christ, so we don't have to obey the way Abraham did, right? But what they're trying to point out is that Abraham was believing not in something concrete, but in a promise. Yeah, it was a promise that, that uh, you know, he would become a great nation, you know, for sure. But w- what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out is that this promise, it's really rooted in the goodness of God, right? Again, we said we, we don't exactly know where Abraham was going. Where, where is this going to be, right? And as he's going, as, as uh, we read, uh, you know, God will point out as he's walking, he's like, I'm going to give this land to you. You see this land right here? This is going to be given to you, your descendants. He figures it out as he's walking. And as he's walking, as Abraham is continuing to see the goodness of God, the provision of God, he keeps putting up little re- re- reminders, these altars to remember God's faithfulness. That's why he does it. Right? Because he's walking by faith. It's not like he knew where he was going. So every single time, he, he, he's almost like, okay, I need to remember this. I need to remember that God has been providing for me. Because I bet you, you, you know, I mean, it's so easy to make Abraham like this mythical figure. But, I mean, just imagine that you were doing this and you're walking in the desert and you don't know where you're going. And you've got your wife and your kids and all of these people with you. And they're like, where are we going, Abraham? Where are we going, Abraham? He's like, I don't know. I'm just trusting in the Lord. He builds these altars to say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to keep trusting you. And God keeps showing him and revealing to him as he walks. So really, what, what Abraham is believing in, what he's trusting in, what he's looking forward to is not necessarily something concrete, but it is the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So at the end of the day, what Abraham is following is God, his goodness, his promises, right? And if God is good, then trusting in his promises is the way to go, right? Because That is a life that is built on firm foundation, to go on the promises of God. That's not how most of us work. We want assurances, right? God, when? When is this going to happen? God, you got to show me the plan. You got to lay this out. God doesn't do that. He says, just go and follow. There's going to be blessing. Everyone's going to be blessed through you. But you got to go. You got to follow. Mm. That feels very shaky to us, very uncertain. But look at what it says in verse 10 here. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. It is a firm foundation, right? To obey, to listen to the word, the promises of God, to trust in that. That is how you live your life on a firm foundation. And by the way, even Jesus talks about it. If you're like, okay, well, the the writer of Hebrews was just pointing out an example from the Old Testament as a parallel, but surely Jesus wouldn't say the same thing, 
right? But let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7. So this is in, uh, the, at the end of the discourse of uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, sorry, I'm kind of struggling with the PowerPoint here. All right, next one. Okay, there we go. Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Every then, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his foundation on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, we, we, we like to sing about this, you know, cornerstone, you know, all this kind of stuff. But what is the rock? You know, we say, okay, it's Jesus. Okay, it's faith in Jesus. But what does that look like practically every day? And Jesus spells it out in no uncertain terms. It means that we need to do what he says. It means obedience. This isn't very popular nowadays. You know, the kind of Christianity that we've constructed in modern times is kind of like, hey, honestly, okay, it would be nice if you could do what God says, but he'll forgive you anyways. And so we kind of wink at it. You know, and then we just do whatever we want. You know, could it be that the theology that we've constructed, that that we talk about grace so much, is it just in some ways an excuse to just do what we want? In other words, is it an excuse for us to build a foundation not on what Jesus says, not on what the Word of God says, but on what we feel like doing. In other words, is it just a backdoor for us to be God? Isn't that the original sin? And if we want to build our foundation on the right rock, on something that's sturdy, right? And by the way, the, the, the next few verses in Matthew uh, 7, it talks about, but if you don't listen to my word, if you don't do what I say, it's like building your house on sand. When the trouble comes, your house will just melt away. Nothing will stand. Right? And, and so that's what's at stake. It's not because God is mean, right? It's because building your house on his foundation, doing it his way, is the best possible thing. Right? So can you imagine that you're God and you're like, okay, yo, this is the right way to go. And you're like, God, you can't tell me what to do, right? That's oppressive. And by the way, you're going to forgive me anyways. And so we just decided to go in the wrong direction. He's like, no, 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 don't go there. You're going to fall off a cliff. Yeah, but you'll forgive me anyway. But you're going to fall off a cliff. (laughs) You know what I mean? Your life will not be the life that God chose for you, that, that God is trying to lead you upon. He's like, hey, I got a good life for you. I, I, I want you to obey this. Like, no, no, I would rather do what I want. You know, I'll take the consequences. But then when we end up over here and when we fall off the cliff, we're like, God, why? Why did you do this to me? Too honest? You know, and, and, and brothers and sisters, I don't say this in a way to say like, oh, you know, you guys are so unfaithful or, or you know, you're not able to obey Christ. Man, there's so many times where it, it, this is hard for me too. 
You know, and I want us to understand that there is grace in this. You know, yes, it's true. God will forgive you. Yes, it's true that God loves you. He's not going to give up on you if you go the wrong way. But if you go the wrong way, just like in life, right? You know, I, I could, you know, decide to uh, uh, not follow my GPS and be like, no, I think this way is better. You know, and at the end of the day, yeah, you can be forgiven, but it just might take you longer to get where you're, you need to go. You might get really lost. You may not get there, right? You're going to end up somewhere else. Not because God doesn't love you, but because there was a right way. What is righteousness? It's the right way, right? And so when we decide to go our own way, it is by definition the wrong way. Yeah? Just just by definition. There's no judgment there. It just is what it is, you know? And so... Uh, another thing that I think we often do is that we kind of have taken this word faith and we've made it belief. And not just belief, but we've made it intellectual belief, right? Just, just something in your head, right? Like, like, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But it doesn't really translate into your life. So I want to use an example <laughs> uh, because I think the word faith, because we, we, we sort of uh, uh, have taken the idea of just intellectual belief, yes, I believe there is a God, right? And just hold it up here in our mind, uh, and then it doesn't translate into your life. I think a better way of translating faith is trust. And, and I want to illustrate this through Aladdin. A whole new world. Do you guys remember that scene in Aladdin uh, where he, he goes to Jasmine, and he's like, do you trust me? Right? And it happens twice. It happens once in the markets of Agrabah, as they're, they're you know, jumping over the, the, the rooftops and evading the palace guards. And he's like, do you trust me? And she, for some reason, does. And she takes his hand, right? and she's safe. And it happens a second time. right? He's up on the palace, and he's like, do you trust me? And she's like, yes, because she started to realize that it's Aladdin. I don't know why she couldn't tell it was Aladdin, because he looks exactly the same, but whatever. <laughs> it's a Disney movie. But... Uh, you know, this idea, okay, do you trust me? Now, what if it was just belief? She's like, I believe you, right? So Aladdin holds out his hand. He's standing on the magic carpet, right? And he's like, do you trust me? And uh, Jasmine goes, mm, I, yeah, I believe you. Okay, then get on the, the magic carpet. Well, I don't want to, but I believe you. I believe you're trustworthy. Okay, then get on the magic carpet. No. What, how, how do we really demonstrate that trust? How does that trust actually play out in your life? You got to get on the magic carpet, right? You got to take the person's hand who's asking you to trust them, right? You can't just say you trust someone without taking action. It doesn't work that way, right? But real trust is backed up with your life. That is why... When we talk about belief and we're like, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but nothing translates in your life, then it's not fully trust then. Now, brothers and sisters, I say this as somebody who I realize during this whole COVID situation, man, just how many trust issues I have. You know, I'd like to say that I believe in God. I, I trust God. But I'll be honest, when, when this COVID stuff has been going down, I mean, there's a lot of times in ministry where I feel like God has been asking me during this time, do you trust me? 
They're like, yeah, but God, I got to make the service, you know, really good, you know, for new people because, because we can't meet in person. I can't bribe them with donuts anymore, you know? And so I got to make the sermon especially good. And so when the sermon isn't, you know, where I think it should be, you know, I, I get really depressed and I get really down and I start worrying and I'm like, oh my gosh, people are going to leave LGM. No one's going to want to come because my sermon was too long or because, you know, I, I stuttered too much or whatever. I get really caught up on those things. And I forget. It's not about me. I mean, yes, God is asking me to be faithful. But God is also asking me to trust. Steve, did you know that I appointed you as the pastor of LGM? You're in the right place, dude. Did you know that I didn't know, that I knew you weren't going to be perfect? Did you know that I knew that COVID was going to happen? And you're held. You have a foundation. That's why so many of us, we have such a hard time trusting because we don't understand that foundation. We are held. When Jasmine decides to take Aladdin's hand and she jumps off the balcony, she doesn't plunge to her doom. (laughs) No, she's supported by a magic carpet ride, you know? But we are supported by the grace and love of God. We are supported by a God who knows way more and knows way better than we do. His ways are not our ways. And we won't always understand. I mean, Abraham certainly didn't. He didn't understand God's timing, but he chose to trust. Not perfectly. And and this is where I think we need to kind of understand, you know, what does it mean then when we aren't able to always do what is right 100% of the time? So, you know, you see this guy, Abraham, and yes, he stumbles along the way. There's, he, he gets afraid and he panics, right? But this is the thing you see in Abraham. You know, he goes, and then he's like, okay, you know, God's like, okay, go in this direction. Abraham starts going, right? And then something happens, famine. He gets a little detour in Egypt, and he's not going in the direction of the Lord. He lies, he he gives up his wife. It's terrible, right? But then, you know, after he kind of figures out what's going on, he keeps going in the direction that God sent him to go, right? And then he goes, and then something else happens. Another person comes, he comes into someone else's land. He's like, yeah, this is my sister. It's not my wife. No. And then he, he, he gets sidetracked again. He has another detour. He forgets who he is, right? But then when he comes to his senses again, right, and when the smoke clears, he keeps going in the direction of God. That's the difference. That's what makes Abraham righteous. I, I love there's this book by Eugene Peterson, uh, he's a pastor, the late Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message. Uh, that's what he's best known for. It's that paraphrase of the Bible. Um, but Eugene Peterson wrote this book that I love the title of it. Uh, and, and he was trying to describe his own life in ministry, or at least the hopes for his life. And he called it a long obedience in the same direction, right? Eugene Peterson, he, he's, he's a Christian. He's a Christ follower. He believes that yes, he's not perfect, and Christ 
forgives him. But even still, and actually this is what God's grace enables you to do. God's grace doesn't enable you to then do whatever the heck you want and just use grace as an excuse. God's grace enables you to get up, go in the right direction again, and keep walking. That's what God's grace is for. That's what God's forgiveness is for. Knowing that you are going to mess up. You are going to lose faith. You're going to be afraid. But when you come to your senses, to get up and keep moving in the direction that God sent you in. Right? It is about, really, at the end of the day, who is God? That's what it's about. That's the right foundation. Are you going to do what I say and try to live your life in that direction even when you mess up? That should be uh, uh, the aberration. That should be the detour, not the direction of your life, right? And God is no fool. You can't fool God. You can't play games with God in this way because he knows your heart. So you can't be like, oh, God, I am following you, but really you just keep going in your own direction. He knows. He knows your heart. So at the end of the day, you know, we can use God's grace and we can abuse God's grace where it makes you God and not him, where you're the one calling the shots. At the end of the day, you're the one who's in charge. You get to decide what you want to do. And you think God will forgive you. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, I don't know. But I don't think that is the righteous path, the right path. I don't think that's building your life on the firm foundation, right? And so, brothers and sisters, as as we look at this, um, so I just want to kind of point out, um, there is, uh, so when we look at uh, Romans 4, this is another example of talking about what Abraham does here. It says, um, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this idea is that Abraham's trust in God, that's the righteousness. Why? It's not saying uh, it, it, like what, what the, the writer of Romans is trying to argue is that it's not because Abraham was so good, right? That's the way we normally read these things. We're like, oh, Abraham, he had this exceptional willpower and he had this exceptional uh, faith and, and he was able to, to just kind of persevere, right? And, and it seems to be all about us, right? And when we look at what Christ is about, you know, I know there's a lot said about works righteousness. We're like, oh, You know, you're trusting too much in your ability to follow God, right? Like the law, that sort of thing, rather than trusting in Jesus. But by trusting in God, how is that different than trusting in Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God, right? And so it's not just believing in Jesus to get a, 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 you know, a get-out-of-hell-free pass or something like that. You know, you'll be forgiven anytime you screw up pass. It is about trying to follow, uh, to, to, to be righteous, right? It, it is trying to live the God, live the life, excuse me, that God desires for you to live. 
right? And this is about trust. So what, what it talks about here is that when we, uh, I'm going to skip forward here, but it says, um, so it, it talks about his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So God knows that you're not going to be able to follow perfectly. But when you put your trust in Jesus, what we are doing is we are aligning our lives with Christ. And in many ways, we take on his rightness, his righteousness. And we are learning day by day, hopefully, in this journey to be able to follow God and to know that this is the right path. But what God is asking you is not to be perfect, not to do that perfectly. But he's telling you, he's asking you, he's inviting you to trust in Jesus, to trust in what Jesus did for you. Um, so let me kind of put it this way as, as we wrap up here. Um, does, does anyone remember one of these? <laughs> this is an old school radio right? Just a normal radio. I, I thought this was funny. I looked it up on, on Amazon. This is like not an old antique model. Like they're still making these and it costs 50 bucks. Like what? But anyway, so an old school radio, do you know how a radio works? Radios do not play music. It, it, it's one of the, the misunderstandings. It looks like it's playing music, but you know what it's doing? It's tuning into music that's already out there. There are radio waves that are out there in the air. Right now, there's radio waves. Did you know that? But you, you don't know that unless you can tune into the right frequency. And so you turn that little knob, and you know it makes a noise because as it's trying to find it, it's like, yeah, and it's like static. But when you get on the right frequency, all of a sudden, you'll be like, oops, ah, did it be? Oh, I found the radio station. There it is. You know, I, I found the right transmission. And you stay there. You stay there. When you move from that, you start to lose the transmission the music starts to break up and you can't hear it anymore. This in many ways, I think, is how uh, walking in the will of God works for many of us. It's like tuning into the right radio station. You know, God is always here. God's will is there, you know. But the way that we tune into that is by trusting in Jesus and by obedience, by saying that this is the life that I want to live, uh, and I'm going to move in this direction with you, right? And, and every time that, that, that we, you know, there might be something in your life where God is asking you to obey, right? It, it could be something very small, like you have a chance to lie about something, you know? I, I don't know. Maybe there's like something with work and, and you just forgot to do the work and your boss asks you, hey, did you do it? You're like, ah, oh, I got really busy, or oh, someone called me, or this happened. You make an excuse. Instead of just owning it and being like, hey, you know what? My bad. I'm so sorry. I, I, I made a mistake. I forgot. I mean, it, it might seem like a small thing. You know, all these little things. There, there's many, many things like that, right? The will of God isn't always this big, mysterious thing where, where uh, you know, we want to know God's will in these big ways, right? Like, like we're like, okay, God. What should I do for the rest of my life? 
We want to know that. Like, okay, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. But this is the thing. Are you tuned into the right frequency to hear that? Because this is the thing. What if God told you that, but you don't know how to obey? You don't know how to obey. You're just like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Eh, that's not God, right? You're not going to be able to hear when God tells you the big things if you don't learn to listen in the small things. So as you obey God in the small things, there might be little convictions. There's a moment where you have a decision, YouTube or scripture, right? Or prayer, you know? I, I, I just, I just want to, you know, uh, veg out on the couch. But maybe you feel compelled to pray, to spend some time with God. What am I going to do? Now, it's not like, you know, you're going to be forever blasted by God if you didn't choose to pray, but maybe your tuning is going to be a little bit off. The more that we kind of, you know, live our life our own way, and we're like, yeah, I just don't feel like doing that. But the more you obey, the more I wonder if your life starts to line up with the frequency of Christ, right? Does that make sense? And as you obey then you start to understand, oh, well, number one, it's not so bad, right? In many ways, obedience feels like death. It's so hard for us. And you know what's dying? Your ego is dying. Your lordship of your own life is dying. That's why it feels so bad. That's why we don't like to talk about it. That's why, I mean, you know, if, if you give me a second to just kind of like do a wild conjecture, I think this is why we have kind of wiped obedience out of the Christian lexicon. We don't like to talk about that. We like to talk about God's love, his grace, his forgiveness, which is all about making us feel better when we go our own way and when we screw up. Oh, is that too honest? But we don't like talking about obedience. But obedience is the lifeblood of the Christian. It is building your life on the right foundation because it is about learning to trust that Christ and God is right, and, and that their intentions for you are good, that God is a good God. God is a loving God. And he's not going to give you instructions to lead you astray, right? And so, brothers and sisters, uh, what makes us righteous? Jesus does, of course, right? But we cannot share in his righteousness unless we learn to trust. And the best way to learn to trust is to obey. Um, I, I'm just going to kind of close with that, and we're going to go into our time of communion. Um, that's a lot to chew on. Um, but I, I, I want us to remember Christ's obedience, Christ's example to us of how he went to the cross and how we can share in what God has for us. You know, And that's what communion is about, right? Communion. We are becoming one with Christ together one with God together. And so what God did for us on the cross, his obedience, and lining up with that, believing in that, trusting in that, is what allows us to be right, righteous. And so, uh, yeah, if you want to grab your bread, your juice, um, I, I prepared it for the priest team. If you guys want to go back there, you got bread and juice there in the back. And... Um, as you're doing this, uh, I just want you to know that in the United Methodist Church, uh, we believe in uh, what is called open communion. And it simply means that all are welcome to this table. You don't have to be baptized in our church. 
you, you don't have to be a perfect person to come to this table because what earns you the right to take part in this meal is the grace of God, what Jesus did for us, not our own goodness, right? And so everyone is welcome to participate. So on the night that Jesus went to the cross, uh, or at least the sequence of events that, that began that would lead to the cross, um, the night that he was betrayed, he shared one last meal with his disciples, many of whom would lose faith, uh, someone would betray him and uh, walk away from him. Uh, but he shared a meal with him graciously. And he said to them uh, during that meal that he used bread, and he broke the bread, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And uh, towards the end of the meal, that he lifted a cup. And this is the cup of the new covenant, his blood, which is poured out for us for the forgiveness of sin. And so we uh, have been told and encouraged to do this regularly in remembrance of all that Christ has done for us. So uh, if you could join me in a word of prayer as we pray for the elements uh, before we take part in them. Let's pray. God, for us, through Christ Jesus, for your faithfulness throughout the ages, that you've taken imperfect people like Abraham and you have used them, God, when they chose to live their life as a long obedience in the same direction, as they continue to trust in your promises. God, and we want to trust our lives to you we want to cling to you, God, knowing that you are a good God. You are the God who gave your son Jesus to die for us, to forgive our sins, that we may be able to line up our lives with you and we may be able to follow you. God, we thank you for that tremendous gift. May this bread, may this cup become to us symbolically the body and blood of Christ. And may we accept that wonderful gift as we learn uh, what it means to be made righteous and as we become one with you by your Holy Spirit and the merits of Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.